a little hard to know what to say, isn't it, when you um, think of that this morning. Um, but it's not just those things, is it? There's lots of other things going on in the world, in our own lives, um, that are serious and that get us down and that we fight against. And, uh, and yeah, it's been good to be reminded of Leah. And, uh, and I hope that you can really commit her to your prayers um, today and this week and, uh, and just really pray for her family. But should we just ask God to just be with us now as we look at his word together? Father God, we say thank you, Lord, we can come worship you. Lord, you invite us, Lord, to be close to you, to be in your presence. And Lord, we just want to take a second um, and just ask, Lord, that you would be with us. Father, I ask that you would be amongst your people this morning. That, Lord, we would just stop and have our eyes focused on you. That, Lord, the words we hear will be the words we need to hear. And that you will drown out anything, Lord, unhelpful. And it doesn't build up your kingdom. And it doesn't build up your people. Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus, Satan himself will be gone from amongst us. And that any whispers of doubt or anything else will not be heard, Lord, in this place this morning. Be with us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our kitchen, our old kitchen, uh, we used to have a little, uh, little poster on one of the cupboards. Now we've got a new kitchen. We don't put anything on the cupboards because, as you know, if you have a new kitchen, you don't put anything up. Anyway, this is what was on our kitchen. You may recognize it. And um, it says this. Dear Lord, it's in the form of a prayer. So far today, I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined or complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. And I've charged nothing on my credit card. But I'm going to be getting out of bed in a minute. And I think then I'll really need your help. <laughs> We've been thinking about spiritual warfare. Last week we tackled this strange topic of spiritual warfare. And I don't know what you, what you thought of last week's talk um, or, or if it was a new subject to you. Maybe something you've never thought of before. This idea that, that there's a, a battle that rages around us. We often only consider things that we can see and touch. Well, that's the problem because I can see it. This is the situation because I can feel it. But we spoke last week that there's a spiritual battle, a battle that rages in the heavenly realms, if you like. The Bible speaks of us not fighting what's physical, but actually what's against us in the heavenly realms. The Bible is very clear that there are dark forces, there's, um, there's opposition to us. And we spoke about that last week, and, and it may have been a new topic for you. It may be this week you've found yourself even thinking, ah, okay. Maybe that's the devil that, that did that this week. Maybe this is a temptation designed to stop me growing in my faith. Last week we spoke very clearly that we were battling against the forces of darkness often in our lives, in our towns, in our cities as well. And we said last week about this being the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion who does his very best to do one thing. His one aim is to keep every human being from knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Often we think we know what's wrong with us, don't we, in, uh, in the world. We become self-focused, if I can put it like that. We think, this is what's wrong. If I could just get this fixed, I'll be happy. I'll be well. If I'm more mindful, I'll be better. And I don't think the devil minds when we do that. I don't think he's worried when we think we know what's wrong with us. Because all he cares about is that we're away from Jesus Christ. His one aim, this spiritual battle that all of us are engaged in, whether you're a Christian or not, Everything is designed about keeping us away from the one who gave his life at Calvary 2,000 years ago to defeat death, defeat sin and darkness and give us everlasting life 
and forgiveness. And we spoke about the devil and how he attacks us. And he attacks us often at our lowest moments. You may know the experience of just having one thing after another. And you think, when is it ever going to stop? And you think, I'm at my lowest ebb. And he loves those moments because he loves to jump all over it. And I'm going to whisper more negative things to bring you lower still. But he also attacks people at their highest moments. Be wary, not just of your failures, but be wary of your successes. Because actually the devil loves it just as much when we do well as he does when we do badly. Because when you do well, he's the first to congratulate you. The arm goes round the shoulder, you are awesome. You are the man, or the woman. You are the one, top dog. Without you, the company would fail. Without you, the church would be in a different position. Without you, the family would fall apart. Without you, the group of friends wouldn't know how to function. You, my friend, are the man. And then, high fives, perhaps. I made that bit up. And actually, because then you're flooded with feelings of self-security, self-sufficiency. Maybe I'm the man. A bit of arrogance creeps in. I'm quite good, actually. Maybe the Lord's pretty pleased that I'm a Christian. Because without me, who knows what would happen in the churches that I've been at all these years. Uh, Beware that he gets us on our quiet moments as well. He gets us at our lowest ebb. He gets us at our highest. And he also gets us when everything stops. I know some people who are terrified of doing nothing. They're frightened of quiet moments. Not really sure what to do when everything stops. So many people fill their lives with stuff for every possible minute with an activity because they know that once they stop doing, they start thinking. And the devil comes with all that onslaught of whispers. Whisper, whisper, whisper. For me, that moment is about three o'clock in the morning. Now, I'm not quite at the age where I need to use the bathroom too often when I go to bed, but occasionally I may get up to use the bathroom, the facilities, at three in the morning. And at three in the morning, I have the strangest thoughts go through my head. I won't tell you what they are because you won't like me. But I have the strangest thoughts. I go to the toilet, I think all sorts of weird things. What's the point of it all, really? And all sorts of things. And maybe you have those on your quiet moments. The devil loves just to slip in there and say, really? It's all a bit rubbish, isn't it? What's the point of all the things you do? And sometimes we run from those quiet moments. I urge you to fight so that you can rest in the Lord's presence and ignore those voices. He, te- he, he attacks us spiritually with things like temptation. You may be aware of those things in your life. You may be aware of those temptations that never seem to go. You think, every day I feel like I could do the same sin, even though I said yesterday I'd never do it again. You have the same doubts. Maybe you have that sense of self-loathing. You look at yourself in the mirror and just think, Ugh, who could possibly like that? Well, I'll tell you someone who did. Jesus Christ, because he gave his life for that and for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. He comes to us with bitterness, sometimes attacks in the flesh, sometimes attacks in our emotions. And he's very good. This spiritual battle rages in a variety of places. It rages, uh, if you like, within us, firstly. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 7 is one of the great examples of how the devil, how that spiritual battle rages for our soul in genesis chapter 4 i should say verses 3 to 7 let me start with verse 1 actually so this is the bit after we've just had the fall of man they've eaten the fruit from the tree and god's taken them out of the garden of eden death has entered humanity for the very first time not just physical death but spiritual death and so here they go into this brave new world broken as it is every aspect of it is broken they're broken to humanity and it says adam made love to his wife eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to cain she said with the help of the lord i have brought forth a man later she gave birth to his brother abel 
Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And this is a terrible story that tells us about this spiritual battle. Cain, if you read the text again, comes to give an offering to God. Cain just gives some, a little bit. He's kind of average offering to God, whereas Abel gives the first, his best. God doesn't accept his offering, and so he becomes angry. And he doesn't become just angry at God or himself, doesn't reflect. What does he do? He takes it out on his brother. And God says, sin is crouching, desiring to have you. The battle rages in Cain's soul and his body and his mind. And what does he do? He gives in. He says to his brother, let's go for a walk. And off they go to a field, and out comes the knife, presumably, and he kills him. And he kills his brother in the middle of a field. And the rest, sadly, is history. And that's the battle that rages every, in every single one of us. Every single one of us here will have a Cain and Abel moment at some point in our lives. In some point in our relationships, you will have a moment where sin will crouch at your door. That battle will rage. And you will have to decide, am I going to give in and just do it? Or am I going to take the hard path, the narrow path, and be godly? And take uh, the difficult decision that is to not get revenge or whatever it might be. If we were to flick over to the book of Romans, chapter 7, we see again this spiritual battle and how it rages in our lives. Now, uh, Paul the Apostle, who wrote much of the New Testament, really is sort of the super-Christian of the Bible. I mean, he's the, the bastion of great Christianity. didn't get married so he could serve God, and he did everything. He did missionary journeys. He was in shipwrecks. He gave everything up. He gave up prestige and status. He did everything right. But when it came to Romans chapter 7, he, in a moment of real honesty, Paul describes the spiritual battle that raged within his heart on a daily basis. And I don't know about you, I don't consider myself anywhere near the Apostle Paul who wrote the New Testament, not even a tiny bit. But I love this because it makes me feel better about my frailties and my sin. Paul writes this, We know that the law is spiritual, chapter 7, verse 14, but I am unspiritual, Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's very hard to read this. Hang on. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do. um, Hang on, where were we? Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there within me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. For who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. And I can't tell you how refreshing it was the first time I read that years ago that this great Christian man woke up every single day and could not, for the life of him, fight all those urges to sin. The spiritual battle rages. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 18, Paul again writes very honestly, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is battle that rages in us between the flesh and God's um, godly nature that's within us. And if you were to look at the parable of the sower, you would see just some of the ways that battle rages for those who first become Christians. That as they hear the word of God, sometimes people to grab hold of it and they believe and they're really passionate about Jesus. And then the cares and the worries of this life come along and they give up on their saviour. Or trouble and hardship come. Or the devil comes and snatches away the word of God. And I wonder how many people we know who heard the gospel, heard about Jesus Christ, and something fluttered in their heart. Something went, wow, I think that's it. That's what I've been searching for. And they came so close, or they even prayed the prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Become Lord of my life today. How many people do we know that have prayed that prayer, and then six months later, you don't see them anymore? Because the devil fights for their soul. They were lost in, in terms of Satan. And he wants them back. And so he throws everything but the kitchen sink at them and the kitchen sink. And sometimes people go back to the life they were saved from through Jesus Christ. Or how many people have been baptized, or haven't been baptized, but have been baptized and they make that declaration, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ, my King and my Savior. And we clap. Wow. Yeah. Three weeks later, you wonder, where are they? devil rages and he roars against God's people. If you've made a step forward in your faith, he will try and take you back, but keep fighting. That darkness rages around every single one of us. That darkness rages in our world. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, we read it last week, he says, finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand that phrase, day of evil, isn't talking about one day at the end of history or something. It just means any day of evil. We all face days of evil. We all face <clears throat> opposition where the devil attacks us, where the devil brings those temptations, those doubts, those feelings of self-loathings or problems in relationships or something else. And he comes with those all the time. That day, today could be a day of evil or tomorrow or Friday or Wednesday or whatever it might be. 
<clears throat> and Paul says, actually, if we put on the full armor of God, we can stand in that day and fight and win. And so this spiritual battle originates with Satan himself. It originates with the devil. He fights against us. And what is the Christian response? What should be the Christian response? Fundamentally, most people are scared, aren't they? They reckon there's three responses to being attacked, three responses to trouble. Two are freeze or flight, run away or stand still. Um, you may have had the dream when you were younger of a burning, uh, burning building. Ever had that dream? Might just be me. You know, and you stand there and you think, I've got to get out, and you can't move. Or you take a step and you fall over. And you think, I'm frozen to one spot and the fire's getting closer. I really should leave. And I had that dream. I used to have that dream all the time as a child. And when opposition comes from the devil and from those dark forces, be it doubt or self-loathing or bitterness or anger or lust or anything like that, what is our response? How do we respond to being attacked by darkness? Do we just freeze? Is the Christian called to freeze or is the Christian called to run away? Are we a people that hide when darkness comes? When the devil attacks, are we a people that think, ooh, I'm not up for that fight. I'm going to go and hide in my church and pray about it. That's a classic one, isn't it? I'm going to go home and pray. It's good to pray. Don't get me wrong. I'm about to say that's one of our weapons against darkness in this world. But only if you're praying for victory. If we're praying because we really don't want to get involved, that's not so good. When we are attacked by the devil, there's a third response, and it's not necessarily one that we like to talk about, and it is the response of fight. You live in a world where the devil rages and is fighting every day for the souls of every human being, our towns, our cities, our young people, our old people, our families, everything. He fights to bring as people, many people away from Jesus Christ as he can. Now, third response is to fight that darkness. What do you think you're on this earth for? What do we think we're here for? We're not here just to come on a Sunday morning and hide away from the darkness. We're called to fight it. In Ephesians chapter 6, again, verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, not maybe, but when it comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Then verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And he goes on through the spiritual armor of the lord and whenever the bible repeats something it's significant be it a verse or a story or a word in revelation chapter 4 verse 8 uh, the john writes that uh, records a song they sing in heaven that starts holy 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 is that just because they'd lost their place and they weren't quite sure how many holies to put in the song it, it made sense lyrically no because when the bible repeats something it's saying that this is really important to remember Holy, holy, holy. Just in case you weren't sure, God is holy. In case you've got any doubts, he's holy, holy. In case you're really unsure, he's holy, holy, holy. How many times at home with the children, I often repeat myself because I believe the points I make at home are important for them to remember. We've not quite seen eye to eye on that one. But whenever the Bible repeats something, it's saying that this theme, this person, this situation, this promise, this truth, this danger is important to remember. Why do you think there are four Gospels? Because the life of Jesus Christ is the most important life you'll ever read about. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul says the word stand three times. When evil comes, when darkness attacks, we're called to stand. And that stand isn't a passive kind of just hoping that you get through the storm. It's actually a military term. It's about resisting, it's about opposing, it's actually about attacking. I stand my ground because you don't deserve to win. 
And I'm called to be a fighter for the King of Kings against the darkness in our towns and cities to fight back. When darkness comes, we're called to attack. I came across a quote um, from a guy, I won't bother mentioning his name because um, I, I doubt you'll know him. Um, I've never heard of him before. Um, and this is where he wrote a book um, a long, long time ago called Soldiers and Trumpeters. Um, anyone know it? Anyone got it? That's good. Soldiers and Trumpeters. Anyway, and this is what he writes. He says, the saddest symptom about so many... By the way, what I'm about to read isn't an insult or a backhanded, uh, you know, one of these. This is what he really thinks of the church. This is not true. This is something that we should all think about. The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. He went on to say that they go through the motions of attending religious services each week. And then he added, but the greatest but the great spiritual warfare, its watchings and struggles, its agonies and anxieties, its battles and contests, all of this they appear to know nothing of at all. Your calling, if you are a Christian this morning, is to see the darkness that comes from the devil and fight it. People say, I wonder what God's plan for my life is. That. It's to see where the light isn't yet shining and preach the gospel. To see where the light isn't yet shining and show forgiveness. To see where the light isn't yet shining and demonstrate God's love. Crucifixion love, not wishy-washy. To see where the darkness is reigning and stand your ground into the name of Jesus Christ is lifted up. How many parts of our country, how many parts of our world has the devil had in his hands for too long? Our young people, what are we doing about them? They spend every day being given a new way of thinking. They're told all sorts of things. What about our middle-aged people? Sold a lie about retirement and what true happiness is. What about our older people and all the fears that they might have? What about all the other things that we have? What are we doing in those dark places? That's what we're for. That's your calling. That's my calling, to fight where darkness is. A friend of mine bought me a book for my birthday. This is a book. I was going to say, this is a book. You know what a book is. Um, and this is called Chase the Lion. And, uh, and so far, I'm loving it. Um, I've only read that much, to be fair. But uh, if, if, that, if that much is anything to go by, I started reading it Saturday. Um, the rest of it's going to be fantastic. And this is um, the beginning of the book. And I'd just like to read the, uh, the first bit to you. Well, it's only the, the first two couple of paragraphs. And, uh, and it's all about a verse in 2 Samuel when a, name, a man named Benaniah uh, chased a lion and killed him. It's just one line in the Old Testament. And this is what he says. When the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optic nerve, in other words, you see a lion, into the visual cortex, the brain relays an urgent message to the body. Run. No disagreement so far? You see a lion and you're going to run away? Yeah, those of you that don't, bless you. That's what normal people do, he writes. But normal is overrated. Lion chasers, it's the name of the book, says lion. Lion chasers don't run away. Lion chasers run to the roar. They don't see a 500 pound problem, they seize opportunity by the main. They don't take flight, they fight to the death for their dreams. Buried in the second book of Samuel, the 23rd chapter and the 20th verse, is one of the most counterintuitive acts of courage in all of Scripture. It's just one of 31,000 verses in the Bible, but it is my personal favourite, he writes. 
It's little more than a biblical byline, but it's become the storyline of my life, my life motto encapsulated in its message, chase the lion. And then he just tells us the, the story. There was also Benaniah, a valiant warrior. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. If ever the phrase wellard is, uh, is, should be used of a biblical character, I think Benaniah could be described as wellard. If you pardon the expression. Well, then it's a good expression. So, God's people have to be like him. When we see darkness in our world, we're not to think, that looks dodgy. I think I'm going to go and hide. Or I don't know what to do with it. We're to think, this is what I was called for. This is what God sanctified me for. This is why I'm on planet Earth. Because that darkness doesn't deserve to be there. I'm going to chase that lion until I have its head in my hands, or however he did it. And so how can we fight the darkness? Well, there are seven weapons. Um, I'll go through these a bit quicker. Um, Seven weapons that the Bible speaks to us that God has given his people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jane, I think, has already read it um, earlier on. Um, This is before Jesus goes back to heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as he gives them, again, their commission to go into the world and preach the gospel. That's our weapon. When people hear of Jesus, their lives change, and they become free from their sin. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Whatever we do, we do it in the power of God's Holy Spirit. It is not our strength that changes the world, or our desire, our passion, but our being filled with God's Holy Spirit. We go out into the darkness, and because we have God's Spirit, the darkness is frightened of us, because God is with his people. And even in our weakness, we are strong. Romans 8 says, even when we don't know what to say, The Spirit of God gives us words. And then we have Romans 6 and this idea of the armor of God. Um, He says here um, in verse 10, three words of strength, power, might, and strong in verse 10. And he goes through the uh, armor of God, as they call it, a spiritual analogy of the things that the Christian has to stand against the darkness that they see on a daily basis. We're not meant to be frightened of it. We're meant to be equipped. We're meant to be bold. We're meant to be uh, ready for the fight. He speaks of the breastplate of truth, uh, no, sorry, the belt of truth in chapter 6, verse 14. It says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, our, our biggest weapon, our biggest piece of armor is the truths of God. There's so many lies out there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth will set you free. And when we know the truths of God, we're set free. We're able to stand even in place of lies. Talk to the breastplate of righteousness just going down that verse. And if you're a soldier, um, the picture will come up at the end. But if you're a soldier, you have a breastplate over your vital organs, your heart, um, your liver, your lungs, all those kinds of things to stop it. So if someone throws something at you, you don't get killed. And actually, our vital organs in this analogy is our heart, the center of our being. And the righteousness of Christ, not our own, because it's Jesus' righteousness that's given to us, covers us, covers our vital organs. We can stand in that place where the devil accuses us, but our vital organs, spiritually speaking, are protected by the righteousness of Christ. He loves to accuse God's people of the devil, doesn't he? He loves to say to you, what do you know about it? What can you do about it? Who are you? But the righteousness of Christ is your defense. Talks of the shoes of readiness for the peace of the gospel. We get to walk into dangerous territory and bring peace as we preach about the King of Kings. Talks of the shield of faith. Things like doubts and worries and fears. We hold up our faith 
and the devil's attacks bounce straight off. The helmet of salvation, uh, our thinking, our understanding, protecting what's understood in our brains from the lies that he might tell. And then finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you were to know the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert, when he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, what was his weapon? The word of God. And you say, yeah, but the Bible says. So worship me, worship God alone. Turn these stones to bread. The Bible says man does not live on bread alone. The word of God is our offensive weapon. When we preach the truth of this word, when we stand on the promises of God, the devil has nothing to say in response. As I look at that picture, picture, that's that's a bit childish, sorry, I'm afraid. That's something I could find. Um, But if you look at that, does that look like someone that's going to go and hide? Does it look like someone that's going to stand frozen with fear? Or does that look like someone that's up for a battle? And that is the picture that you should have in your mind of yourself in God's kingdom, ready to fight the darkness that stands in opposition to him. The next weapon we have, number three, is prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18 again. I'm going to have to read them off the screen because I've lost all my little bits. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and then keep on praying. Uh, for all the saints our biggest weapon is prayer what can we do for Leah all those miles away in Nigeria what can we do at this precise moment leading into Monday morning I'll tell you what we can do we can pray and we can not just pray for five minutes in a little arrow prayer a little look after a blesser but you know what we could do we could all skip coffee and stay here and pray for Leah in fact that's what I'm doing after service if you'd like to join me now pray for Leah because that's our weapon, isn't it? That's our weapon. How dare the darkness take that girl? We're going to pray about that. We're going to pray the darkness away in faith. The word of God, as I've just said, another weapon we have against the darkness is praise. There's a wonderful story in 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 20, verse 22. As um, King Jehoshaphat of Judah is uh, marching into battle against Moab, I believe it is, Moab and Ammon. As he goes into battle with them, do you know who he sent first? Not the strongest, not the toughest. He put his music group at the front. And as they marched into battle, they began to praise God. And as they praised God, something changed spiritually. And do you know what happened? The army there were going to go and fight, fought each other, and turned against themselves. Praise is a great weapon against darkness. Do you know what? In some of my most fearful moments, normally on aeroplanes... Uh, I always sing. You always get a seat if you sing on an aeroplane. Um, people think, I'll stay in the toilet. It's all right. Um, but I sing. I sing the truth. I normally sing, I lord of sea and sky, because it's got sky in it. And I figure, you know. But I sing. I love to worship. And when you worship, the devil doesn't like it. He likes every other song. He doesn't like it when we worship. That's why we love to worship on a Sunday morning. That's why it's important that you don't focus on anything else except the king of kings when you worship on a Sunday morning, and he hates it. Number six is our obedience to Christ. In James chapter 4, verse 7, James writes this. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Quite strong words. But actually, if you want to fight the good fight, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't have your sin and do it. You need to fight against that. You need to have that sense of holiness and obedience to Christ in every area. Number seven is the blood of Jesus. When he died on the cross, his blood was about the the defeat of sin, the defeat of darkness. And so let me finish by saying this. The Christian 
is called to do something, which is to fight. To fight darkness wherever we see it. Our job isn't just to arrive at the grave well and unscathed. We're to arrive at the grave full of rips and tears in our skin because we've seen the lion and we chased it. We might be missing an arm or a leg because we lost a few things in battle, but we're to arrive at the grave battle-worn and victorious with the darkness that bit more defeated. And so this week, ask yourself one question. Me too. What darkness bothers me the most in the world, in relationships and things that I see? What breaks my heart the most? And start praying about it. And start saying, Lord, use me to push that back. Because we have all got extraordinary lives that we can live for Christ. They may, may not be extraordinary in the world's eyes, but in the economy and the kingdom of God, it is extraordinary to push back the darkness. It might be something in your own life. It might be a darkness that you've allowed to sit here for so many years. Push that back. But it might be something else, a relationship, a problem at work. It might be something to do with a situation in your town or community. Well, let's just start fighting. Let's start seeing lions of something we can beat rather than things to run away from. The church is here for them. Let's pray. Lord God, we just lift up, Lord, uh, your word to you this morning. And we lift up these thoughts. Father God, make us a people that step out. Make us a people, Lord, who are not timid. You tell us, Lord, that we no longer have that uh, timidity to fear. You made us, Lord, a confident people, a bold people. Lord, not in our abilities. There is no boasting in your kingdom. Not one of us here can say, I'm this and I'm that. Lord, I'm nothing. Lord, I offer you, I've got nothing to offer you except this life and that you would fill me and us with your power, your resurrection power, and use us to fight the darkness we see. Lord, our world is so often at war with itself. And Lord, we are your people, the makers of peace. Lord, may we have a Christianity that has a bit of fight to it. Lord, that we won't be people that see the fight and run away. That we'll say, Lord, I'm running after this line, even though I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. But I believe you call me to attack the darkness and not give it the victory it doesn't deserve. We are the people of victory. You are the one who defeated all things. And you will return to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. And we belong to the ultimate victor of everything. And we lift ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.